on this tantalizing episode of the Magic Business Podcast. Every aspect of the production from the camera, the lights, the sound, to the technology and the computer, to the set needs to be planned. And I don't care what level you are, there's always a step up you can take it. Welcome to the Magic Business Podcast, where we share insightful and delightful inner secrets about the business of magic. This is where magic professionals present their real life experiences and their most guarded secrets to help further your career in the magical arts. I'm your host, Christian Painter, in partnership with the MagicOracle.club, where you can hear all of our magic business podcasts. If you've wondered about how you could get started in the virtual performing world, we have a surprise for you. Christopher Carter is about to share some amazing information with you. Get ready to take notes. Christopher Carter resides in Chicago and has been a full-time professional for 30 years. His primary focus has been the college market and recently he's moved into the corporate speaking industry. He has won the Campus Entertainer of the Year Award several times. He has received the prestigious Dunger Award from the Psychic Entertainers Association. He has also won the Melbourne Christopher Award for Mentalism. Lately, he's been perfecting his skills with virtual shows, having performed over 80 virtual shows. He is here today to share his insights into this new market. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks a lot. It is, it is incredible to be part of this. I think what you're doing is going to be really exciting for the people who want to up their game as far as their business goes. Well, I, and I'm really happy that you've decided to share some of these secrets because right now this is the newest market uh, I think out there for entertainers and most people have no idea what they're doing. Well, let, let me just uh, kind of rephrase that for you. This is not only the newest market for most entertainers, this is the only market. <laughs> Fair and, enough. And, and well, that's very, very important uh, because uh, the virtual show world is largely the only game in town. So if you are a professional performer and you do not have a giant back stash of cash to keep you going, virtual performance is the main thing that's keeping you right now from having to go out and get a day job. Then let's just start from ground zero. I want to start some shows. What I got it. What's the first thing I got to get? What I got to do? Well, the first thing is a mindset because there is a belief on that a lot of magicians seem to hold that production values don't matter, that you can just set up your laptop in your bedroom and uh, hop on to Zoom and do a virtual show. That is technically true, but professionally not the best way to go. Production values really do matter. People who are buying virtual shows, regardless of the market, really want to see that you are a step up in production values from all of your competition. So get out of your head the idea that production values are unimportant. They are extremely important, but here's the other half of that. You don't actually have to have production values that are as good as maybe your, your local television network. That does not have to be like that. You do have to have as good or better production values than anybody else in your market. And getting that, it's not as difficult as it sounds. I have this theory at least that wherever you are you can upgrade the production value of your virtual show at least 25 percent 
by just making very minor changes in your equipment and the way you have it set up. So I'm going to guess that production value isn't just a cool backdrop. Production value isn't just a cool backdrop, although the, the cool backdrop does help. Think of production value as, as the sum of a number of things. First of all, the quality of your live feed, whatever you're streaming on, whether you're streaming on Zoom or you're streaming on YouTube Live, those are my two favorite formats to stream on. Uh, so the actual broadcast quality of that, the bit rate that they go out, that's part of the production value. The second is the quality of your camera, the quality of your mic, the quality of your lights, and then, yeah, absolutely your backdrop. Uh, think of it this way. If you were to go watch a play, there would be a set, and that set would be an important component of the show. Nobody just threw up a bunch of drapes and called it a set. They planned every little detail. Well, that's the same thing in our virtual shows. Every aspect of the production, from the camera, the lights, the sound, to the technology and the computer, to the set, needs to be planned. And I don't care at what level you are, there's always a step up you can take it. All right. Well, let's start with the camera. I, can I just use the camera on my computer? What, what do I got to do? And it's funny because um, my wife, as I mentioned, does a lot of library shows. And uh, I give webinars to the librarians on how they can up their game when they are presenting performers for their patrons. Because the librarians, they, know they need to come on and do introductions. I, I'll tell them the first thing that I'm going to tell our listeners here today. Yes, you can use the camera that's on your laptop, but you shouldn't. It's almost always the case that an external camera will be of a much higher quality than the camera that's already on your laptop. Now, at that point, the sky's the limit. I mean, uh, if you just kind of imagine a hierarchy leaving from your, your laptop camera, the next up would be a, a high quality webcam. Logitech makes some of the best out there. Uh, the next up from that, in my opinion, are your cell phones. And the new or more recent iPhones make excellent external cameras. And then there are a number of point and shoot cameras that make really good external cameras. After that, DSLRs are the next level up. Uh, many of the biggest YouTubers out there swear by their DSLR cameras. And I use a 4K video camera that you would use to uh, shoot professional videography. But uh, the point is, wherever you are, there's always a next level to go. All right, so give me a price range of, let's say, a mid-level camera. Uh, a mid-level camera that is um, really good to use would be one of the, uh, the lower-level Canon DSLRs. Uh, at least in my opinion, that would be a mid-level. Those are terrific because those feed by a USB port directly into your computers, so you don't need to buy a video capture card in order to plug them in. Okay. But uh, other cameras that are really good mid-level, uh, pretty much any range of digital point and shoot can be an excellent mid-level camera. Or as I mentioned earlier, your cell phones. Again, cell phones can be patched in uh, usually using a USB port, but they can also, many cell phones can be uh, done via a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi connection as well. Let's go back to the camera for a moment. So how much will that cost me, that mid-level camera? The, the lower level DSLRs, uh, seven or $800. Okay. But, but let's say that you're stuck right now with your uh, 
you know, your laptop camera. Mm -hmm. At that point, I would say go up to a Logitech webcam, uh, which would cost anywhere from 80 to about $130. I would buy the $130 one because the higher quality you can go, the better. That Logitech webcam is going to do a fantastic job for you. Now, how many cameras should I have? One, two, how many? Well, that really depends a lot on the nature of the show. Uh, you can have easily anywhere from one to three. Once you're moving past three, it gets a little bit more complicated, but one to three are easy to control. Uh, I'd use two. I, I've discovered for my own purposes, a broad shot and a close-up shot are all that I need. I really don't need a third camera angle. So now let's move to mics, my sound. What, what do I need? The first most important thing that you need is an external mic. The mic that is already part of your laptop is rarely going to be sufficient. Primary reason is because it picks up everything. It's just, it's going to be filled with room echo and the ambient sound. I prefer using a lavalier mic and there are many, many good lavalier mics that plug into the USB port, but, um, other mics that are very good right now i'm speaking to you on a blue yeti which is a, a really good podcaster's external mic and um i have used and really do like the microphones that are part of your airpods so if you have airpods those make a very good external mic really high quality sound surprisingly so they look a little funny coming out of your ears but the quality of sound is terrific and they allow you to move around for my purposes, the best mic is one that allows you to move a little bit because I use a camera at a little bit farther distance to allow myself a wider shot. Some people who are using camera closer and they're only performing on their tabletop can do really well with a shotgun mic, but I love a lavalier mic. That makes sense. Kind of like not too much different than how people pick their mics for actual live shows. Exactly. And one of the nice things about a lavalier mic is that what it picks up is primarily the sound that's coming out of your mouth. It really doesn't pick up a lot of the ambient room sound. And so I have found people telling me that the mic that I use during performance has a much more intimate quality to it than your typical shotgun mic. How about this? Lighting. I know that's got to be important because I know when I'm on Zoom meetings, everyone's got some sort of different light. Some people are in the dark. Well, just tell me about lighting. Well, the, the first thing that I, I want people to understand about lighting is the concept of three-point lighting, which is what photographers and professional video people try to use as much as possible. And the three-point lighting means that the light is coming on the subject, in this case you, from multiple sources. So you will have two lights coming from the front. You'll have a key light and a fill light. The key light comes in from an angle. So let's say that hypothetically it comes in from about 45 degree angle from the right that's going to be the brighter of your lights and that does the bulk of the illumination of your face but that will cause some shadows on the left side of your face and so you bring in another light coming from the left side at a similar angle to fill in those shadows but that light is usually kept at a slightly lower intensity the idea being that although you want to fill in the shadows, you don't want to eliminate the shadows because the, the shadowing on the face is what gives you three dimensions. When the camera is looking at you, you need to stand out a little bit. So you have your key light coming in from one side, your fill light, and then some sort of backlight. 
Uh, the best way to do that really is to have a, a light that's aimed on your backdrop that is not particularly intense, just gives a little bit of glow so that you stand out from your backdrop. This is the ideal scenario. Now, many people may have only available to them just the little ring lights. Ring lights are fantastic if you're doing a tabletop show in front of your camera, but they can have a tendency to wash out your face and make it look flat. So I really recommend that if you're using a ring light, you keep it at a little bit of an angle so that it doesn't come to you dead on so that there's just enough shadowing on one side of the face to allow you to stand out from it. Holy cow, that is way more complex than I, ex than I expected. But <laughs> well, ultimately, it's not really. You just need more than one light. Now, this is where things do get a little bit complicated. Uh, in addition to the volume of light, the color of the light matters. Mm -hmm. So we introduce a concept called color temperature. And for those who are not familiar with it, the color temperature of light describes the spectrum of of light that's within a particular light source. So roughly 5,200 degrees Kelvin is the color temperature of sunlight, 5,200 to 5,500. I'm working from memory. I'm not 100% on that, but it's in that range. So you go outside on a beautiful sunny day and that full sunlight is measured at somewhere from 52 to 5,500 degrees Kelvin. You think, fantastic. What I need is something that looks like good sunlight. And so you go to the light bulb store and you, you look at color temperatures on potential lamps and you find one and you put it into your lamp and suddenly you discover, wait, that looks horrible on me. Well, the reason is that even though it's rated at that color temperature, it has mostly blue light in it. It has very little of the rest of the spectrum. And so it makes you look ugly and washed out. Now, your typical incandescent in-room light is in the lower, maybe 3200 to 3500 degree Kelvin color temperature, and it has a lot of amber in it. So it's going to make your, your skin look warmer and richer in reds. You have to decide based on all of the light in the room what color temperature you need. It's really, really easy to find good quality photographer's lights on Amazon, let's say, that are, uh, are diffuse so that they don't look like beam on your face and look like a giant spotlight landing on your face. Uh, a lot of people like to use white boxes for this. And basically a white box is just a, a, a light bulb in an umbrella that has a diffuser across the front and it puts this nice big wash of white loss, white light on your face so that it's not super, super intense. But if you have a 5,500 degree Kelvin color temperature bulb in there, you're going to end up looking just really pasty white. Mm. I have become really, really fond of LED lights that allow you to adjust the color temperature because I find for me, looking a little pale, that a warmer color temperature somewhere in the 35, 3600 degree Kelvin range makes me look good. It makes me look like I'm not a corpse. <laughs> now, and you know, I was going to ask you about that because I know here in my house, I have uh, the light bulbs where I can change the white color, right? So I can have a really white one or a warmer white. And I'm going to assume they have these same kind of bulbs for, for the, uh, the purposes you're saying. 
Exactly. You can um, buy bulbs in the whole range of potential color temperatures to put into it. So it would be a single lamp. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I'm really fond of LED lights and an LED light box, Neewer, by the way, is a company that makes very affordable ones available on Amazon. The reason I really like the LED light boxes is because you can adjust the intensity of the LED lamps that are in it, and you can adjust the color temperature. So you can experiment. And for the tune of $60 per lamp, and you only need two of them, you can experiment and find something that looks really good on you. You know, but what I really think about what you're saying is if you are, and, and when you look at a show online, you can tell immediately whether it's going to be a fun show to watch by having that great lighting and seeing things out. But it's not much different than when you're lighting a stage, right? Where you try to kill the shadows behind you and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's exactly. The principle is the same. The, the good news is that when you're creating a virtual show, you're really lighting a much smaller space. So you don't need the volume of lighting instruments that you would need. For the most part, you need, I mean, I, I'll give you an example of what I use because I, I sometimes use a green screen effect. So I have two white boxes that are aimed on the green screen itself. Those are the backlights. Okay. And then I have two LED light boxes that are aimed on me in the center. And each one of those is made nice and warm. All I need from the backlight is it separates me. So I'm using four lighting instruments. The vast majority of people need a maximum of three. All right, so this is, this is it sounds like a lot of planning to put together a good uh, production value for your show then. Well, of course it does, but I mean, it's no more planning than should go into the planning that makes a good show. Uh, the problem with virtual shows is that we're juggling not only the show, which we think we're used to doing, but also the technology. And so it's really important to get that technology under control, to get as much mastery of it as you can before you actually do the virtual show, because otherwise you're going to end up looking nervous and your concentration is going to be shot. You're spending so much time trying to figure out what the technology should be doing. Uh, good point. So let me ask you then, would it be, would you suggest someone get their spouse or friend to kind of run the technology while they do the show? Absolutely. If that's possible, I absolutely would suggest it. You can do it on your own. But um, all of the shows that we generate out of my house, because I do virtual programs and my wife does virtual programs, are team efforts. We're each helping each other do them. And it really helps a lot. There's an awful lot you can do when you have a spouse or a friend or an assistant as a producer. How do you stay focused? Because we don't have an audience like we're used to. We're, we're playing to a camera. How do you make sure you're staying focused on that camera properly? Well, I've got two methods for that because I, I also train people in how to interact with video. So that's like my, my other job. When I, when I work with business people, I, I, I have a program teaching and coaching salespeople and customer service people on how to interact with video. So this is my first recommendation. You have to understand that when you're in a face-to-face -face conversation with a person, you're never really looking them directly in the eyes. You're looking at their face and scanning it for clues, but they're doing the same thing for you. And we look at a person's face because that's our number one clue that they're with us. They're in the moment. They're paying attention to us. Well, here's the problem with video. You cannot simultaneously look somebody in the face and have them look you directly in the eyes. Because if they're on, for example, a Zoom screen 
and you're looking at their face, your eyes have dropped. Your eyes are not looking in the camera. The only thing that gives the illusion of looking directly in the face of somebody is looking directly at the camera. So we have to make a choice, which is more important for us to see their face and be able to scan it for clues or for them to see us looking at their face. And the answer to that is it's infinitely more important for them to see us looking at their face because when they see our eyes going directly in the camera, they feel that we are looking directly in the, into their face. And that is when they feel connected to. If they see our eyes drop, they feel like we're not even paying attention to them. So it's really important that we focus our eyes as much as reasonable directly into the camera. So how do you develop a habit for doing that? Well, the first thing you do is you get yourself off the video. And you can do this easily in most streaming platforms by like, for example, in Zoom, you can just get rid of self view and all of a sudden you're no longer visible on the screen. So that's the first thing you do, because our, our, our natural tendency is to look at ourselves like, do I look OK? Is there spinach in my teeth? <laughs> um, the second thing that I recommend is for people to spend, a, you know, five to six minutes each day having a Zoom conversation with themselves. And what I mean by that is set up a Zoom meeting and talk to the camera as if you are talking to somebody and just explore the space, move around it, see how you look in the frame when you talk from different sections of the frame, how you look in the frame when you get closer to the camera or when you get farther from the camera and talk about anything you want. Talk about what you had for breakfast. Just talk to it like you're talking to a friend and every day tape it and then show it to somebody, a friend, a spouse, it doesn't matter, but somebody who knows you and likes you and just say, well, what do you think? Do I look better over here? Do I look better over here? Do I feel like I'm coming across as a genuine person when I'm talking to the camera? And what you'll discover over the course of the week by looking at your recordings of that is how you look, you know, it creates a crucial level of self-awareness and it gets you into the habit of looking directly into the camera. Chris, this suspiciously sounds like practice. <laughs> it sounds a hell of a lot like practice, <laughs> but it doesn't take very long. You know, uh, talking into a camera is unnatural for the first day or two, and then it becomes second nature. Really, what you want to do is look directly into the camera and talk to it like you're talking to somebody that you know. And if it helps you, imagine somebody that you know on the other side of that camera, but just get used to it. It's something that happens with comfort level and practice. Earlier, before this podcast, you happened to mention to me something about educating the people, well, your, your clients. Tell me about that. Well, once all of this went down, the next question is, how do you get the word out that you do it? And there are a lot of ways. Many people uh, just, you know, popped it up on their website. That's, of course, a very good way. But it became clear to me very quickly that so many people were going to be pitching their widget as virtual performers that not only I, but we, meaning me and my wife, needed something to help us stand out. And so what I began to do was plan a series of webinars and we started them with her clients and her clients are primarily libraries, as I mentioned, and they're webinars to teach her buyers how to host and promote and put on a virtual program. 
So all of those buyers, you know, they're going, what are we going to do to connect to our, to our client base or to our customers? Well, my webinar is how to do that. So I walked them through the technology. I walked through them through the process of hiring a virtual performer. I showed them the, you know, the potential security risks, you know, the problem with Zoom bombers and how to take care of that, and really just covered every single thing that I could. And after a series of three of these webinars, I discovered that all of a sudden my wife and me as a team were becoming considered as real experts and who were they going to contact when they wanted somebody to actually perform for them? Well, her. And that's exactly what happened. We gave this free webinar in different regions all over the country, allowed it to be replayed. That was absolutely the most effective promotional technique that we've developed so far. And I've used it with my own client base as well. But I, I, I try not to talk too much about my own client base because I have some, some promotional secrets that I do want to keep to myself. Absolutely understood. And I will tell you right now, listeners, I think Chris just dropped a brick of gold. And you need to pick that up and run with it. That is really powerful stuff. Oh, do you have something else you want to add? Yeah, to? I, I, I do want to add to that. The okay. important thing to understand is that most of our clients haven't done anything like this, and they're nervous. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what they have to do. So setting yourself up as a subject matter expert through any kind of training you can come up with, film tutorials that you can send to them to guide them through the process, film tutorials that you can send so that they can give them to their end user to guide them through the process. Anything you can come up with that is educational, they eat it up. They love it. It gets huge views and then they go, wow, you're the person that I want to talk to because obviously you know more about this than anybody. My mouth is hanging open because that's just so brilliant. I want to say we're hosted on the magicoracle.club and we like to say that because when we bring our experts in, you become the magic oracle. But I like to ask this question, it's a challenging question, and that is, you are now, and I know you're humble and you don't want to say you're the expert, but you are definitely one of, one of the experts now in this new market. And I'm sure you've had a lot of people ask you questions in that, but what's a question that they seldom ask you, but they probably should be asking you? Well, actually, there's quite a lot. I do. I want to just preface my answer by saying that there is always somebody who knows more. And so while I have a certain level of expertise that came from actually doing them, I'm not going to tell you that I am the key expert on video productions and creating live feeds. Okay, having said that, that's the really the number one thing that everybody says, how should I be promoting my show? Or they say, you know, how should... What should I be charging? What they really should be saying is, what is the extra value that I can give to my customer? And this kind of thing, this use of education is a really good example to that. What you really should be saying is, what else can I give you? So you book me for a, a program. Okay, that's fine. How do I promote it? Well, how about a unique video for whomever is the end user of that booking, those clients, so that the person who pays your check can send that to them to tease the video. That's just a, a simple example. What, because we have the ability to create video now, we can do so much 
to add value. And that's really the main thing that should be asked is what what else can I do for the for my client? Yeah, so you're actually making a little sizzle reel for the promotional purposes for the client. Yeah, exactly. So for every program, I have kind of a show reel. You know, this is what the show will look like. And then for every program, I tape a personal invitation. So I say, you know, hi, this is Christopher Carter. I am so excited to be with you of Eastern New Mexico University on Friday, the 17th of December, 7 o'clock p.m. If you'd like to find out more about what this is going to be like, check out this video. So now it's me talking to them. And I, I just film it. I drop it in in front of that little sizzle reel, send it to my client, and they give it out to all of their people. All of a sudden, they have a, a real person talking to them, inviting them to the show. That is powerful stuff. Chris, we have run out of time, but I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You have the amount of information you just dropped. I'm sure some people will probably need to listen to this two or three times to absorb everything you've said. Well, it's been a real pleasure being on with you. Thank you for listening to our Magic Business Podcast. Please visit the magicoracle.club where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcast and enjoy a vast array of additional magical knowledge. A fantastic show and performance is solid gold. Money cannot buy it. You cannot steal it. You cannot borrow it. It must be forged in the fires of your will, and it will reflect your hard work, your commitment, and your discipline. It shows self-respect, patience, work ethic, and passion. And now it's time for you to get out there and create your show. As always, we at the Magic Oracle wish you continued success on your path in the magical arts.